But speaking of good, it is really good to have the Reverend Zach Hicks. Zach and Abby have four children. Uh, they reside in Fort Lauderdale. Zach has served churches there in Florida and in Colorado. Uh, a native of Hawaii. A native of Hawaii. So he really branched out and went to undergrad in California uh, and, uh, and now is in Fort Lauderdale, as I said, and uh, of course has recently been called to join the staff here at the Advent. And so we look forward to you and Abby and the kids uh, joining us uh, later on in the year and delighted you're here to preach the word uh, to us today, Zach. Coming up this week, uh, we have uh, two other great preachers, Rob Sturdy from Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, uh, head of the Ridley Institute, a wonderful training institute that gets world renowned academics um, from all over the world uh, to come and teach in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. Charleston's a really hard sell, I think. And, uh, and Rob was a seminary classmate of mine. And then at the end of the week on Friday, we have Bob Flayhart from Oak Mountain Presbyterian Church. I hope that you can join us. Let's now sing, stand and sing 495 verses 1 and 2. You may be seated. Thank you all for coming today. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to be among you. It's a pleasure to be coming here in a few short months with my family. We're all a little scared and a little excited, but we're grateful. And uh, I'd love for us to open our Bibles to Romans 3, starting in verse 19. Romans 3, 19 through 26. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. This was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Oh, Holy Spirit, just as I can't speak without breath and air, the word of God, Jesus Christ, cannot go forth but apart from you, the wind of God, the breath of God, breathing him onto us. And so we ask for nothing short than that you would show us Jesus Christ. First, that you'd show us our need for him and that you'd give, them, give him to us. All in his name we pray. Amen. Now you and I are haunted by apocalyptic ghosts. These ghosts drift in from all sorts of likely and unlikely places. Everything from a Christianity mixed with a popular culture and media to the corners of the world where Christianity is hardly even whispered. 
These ghosts hover over our shoulders day after day, whispering fear into our ear, telling us of the final judgment to come. That day when we will all stand before God and give an account for the deeds done in this life, whether good or bad. I recently saw a painful picture on the internet. It is a candid shot of a man with the most humiliated look on his face. The man is standing in the middle of a crowd and in this shopping mall, and a huge sign is on his body which reads, I cheated on my girlfriend of three years, and this is my punishment. And he stood there as people walked by. And as it, it was an obvious uh, move of his girlfriend to have him do this and to repent before the world of what had happened. And many of us have a similar sense that this is what the final judgment will be like. Your deepest, darkest secrets plastered before the world on a huge sandwich board. Or for some of us, it's the fabled movie screen where God will display an exhaustingly long highlight reel of all the things we've done and left undone. For some of us, it feels like the Protestant version of purgatory, our final penance before entering paradise. And for others, this highlight reel is the more dreadful because it will expose our fraud and justify God's rightful words, depart from me, for I never knew you. The judgment seat, the day when all things get thrown into the light. And so, even as modernized and secularized as our culture has become, we can't shake the feeling that the day of reckoning will come when we will stand before God, naked, exposed, and vulnerable. Call it yin for yang, call it future karma, call it getting your comeuppance, call it the roll call up yonder. Isn't it surprising that in this so-called post-Christian era that we live, our reckoning on the other side of death still plays heavily into our movies, our music, and even, even our presidential political speeches. Final judgment is inescapable. And yet some of us have done a passable job suppressing it. That low-grade tension that never seems to go away. All our addictive tendencies, our, our booze medication, our workaholism, our busyness, our non-stop social media checking, our helicopter parenting, you name it. We all have our ways of, of pushing down and sweeping aside the future that we know is ours, where God will bring all things into the light. And why are we nagged by this? Because there are things that you have done, thought, imagined, or enacted that only you know about. You haven't told your spouse, you haven't told your best friends. Telling them would be far too devastating, far too repulsive. And how do I know you harbor those feelings and hold them in? Because I do. And if your heart is anything like mine, then you know that the threat of final judgment tends to lurk in those dark corners of our souls. Others of us wrestle with this in what might be the twin form of this fear. Namely that my Christianity is a sham. Because if my Christianity were real, I wouldn't perpetually struggle with the same besetting sins that I've been dealing with since I was a kid. 
Christianity equals progress, right? Well, if my progressless, uh, well, what, what if my progresslessness exposes my faith as counterfeit? Surely, surely, this is what the final judgment will mete out. Only a month ago, I was having lunch with a man in our church, a 70-year-old man who had been in church his whole life, lifelong committed churchman, sings in our choir, just a part of the fabric of churches for a long time, always faithful, always listening to sermons, applying them to his life, going to Bible studies faithfully. And this man told me, he just said, you know, when I stand before God, I'm not sure what he's going to say about me. I'm not sure that my faith is genuine because I look around and I don't see the same kind of fruit and life of passion in my life that I observe in other people. And he was genuinely concerned about what would happen when he stood before God on that final day. And perhaps our great fear of this dreaded day explains why so many comics and cartoons and comedies feature humorous, cloud-filled scenes of people standing before St. Peter at the pearly gates. We're all haunted by the final judgment, and in order to deal with just how painfully oppressive the future is, being being good 21st century Americans, we have to joke about it. It's like the off-color humor of detectives at the fresh scene of a murder or the way-too-light-hearted banter that I engage in with fellow pastors just before a funeral service. The tension is so, so thick that the only knife that will cut it is a humor whose sharpness stands up against the blunt force of the coming freight train, the day of the Lord. And perhaps our fear of final judgment is warranted. I mean, maybe it's more than just the distortions of popular culture. There are passages in scripture that seem to say that awaiting us is God's evaluative critique and judgment of us. Romans 4.12, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. 1 Corinthians 4.5, therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart, and then each one will receive his commendation from God. Revelation 22, 12, Jesus says, Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. These passages, especially in our popular culture that likes to take scripture out of context and spout snippets off like I just did, These passages, in the least, give us great pause about what awaits us on the other side of life. But far more likely, they drive fear deep down into our bones. What will God say to me on that day? Do you feel this fear like I do? Honestly, at least for me, the popular evangelical tradition that I grew up in 
didn't help to assuage my fears. In fact, it only reinforced the idea that when I die as a Christian, I would appear before a Santa-like God who would determine whether I've been naughty or nice. So what are we to do with all those passages that I just read? And more pressingly, what are we to do with the very fear that's in us that though we might believe in Christ for our salvation now, in the future, there will be a day of final judgment. I wish I had time to do a Lenten Bible study series where we could go passage by passage. But for now, I'd like you to consider this sermon a short-circuiting of that very important process. You know, one very real and powerful principle that we need to hold on to, given to us by Christians who have gone before us, is to let the clearer parts of Scripture help us interpret the less clearer parts. And I would submit to you that Romans 3, in this passage that we read, Paul is being very clear about what will happen on that final day. When we hear a passage like the one from Romans 3, we need to pay attention to a sphere of language that would have run differently in the ears of Paul's original hearers. You see, when we hear the words righteous and righteousness, just and justify, our minds don't readily go to the same places that a first century Jewish person's would. For a first century Jewish person, hearing righteousness and justify would immediately conjure up the context of none other than final judgment. We go back to Romans 2, for instance, where Paul offers a frighteningly rhetorical question in verses 4 and 5 when he says, Do you presume upon the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Here in Romans 2, we have Paul clearly using righteousness and justification in the way that the Jewish mind would have understood it, in the language of final judgment. Paul and God are clearly telling us that the day of everyone's justification is the day of final judgment. And on that day, we will find out whether or not we are justified. Paul sums it up a few verses later in verse 13 when he says, The doers of the law will be justified. He's basically saying, if you're good on that day in the future, you will be justified. God will declare you righteous. So far, this sounds like the way we've been thinking about final judgment. It sounds like the way we've been thinking it will go. And then Paul does something quite odd. One chapter later, he seems to flat out contradict himself. Because in in chapter 3, verse 20, the one we just read, Paul says, By the works of the law, no one will be justified. Again, he's still talking about future judgment. And he's offering up an even more scary word when he says, No one will be justified. He says, At the final judgment, I'm sorry to tell you, no one's going to be justified. Again, he's still talking about future judgment. And he's offering up this even more scary word. Final judgment in the future tense is looking very bleak. 
So maybe it is that you and I are really all in the same boat as the original hearers. We're all hearing the same thing. Judgment is coming and no one gets a pass. Brace yourselves. The future's arriving like a freight train and when it hits you, you're going down. Our pseudo-righteousness will be exposed. Our fake Christianity, our good works that all really came from a selfish motivation and therefore not truly good. And certainly our evil deeds, our thoughts, our actions, our words, they will all come to light and final judgment will happen. Except that all of a sudden, God shocks everyone with a word that none of us have ever heard or dreamed before. There's a dramatic shifting of tense from the future to the present. Verse 20 that highlights the future says, By the works of the law, no one will be justified. Justification happens in the future. But one verse later, next, verse 21 says, But now... The righteousness, the justification of God is being revealed now. Apart from the law, now. The righteousness of God through faith, now. The justification of God through faith, now in Jesus Christ. And if the present and the future couldn't get any more confusing, Paul starts throwing in the past. Paul says, the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. The redemption that is in Jesus Christ whom God put forward as a propitiation in his blood. Paul is saying our future judgment is being now revealed in a past event, the cross. And it was at the cross where all our evil deeds, all our pseudo good works, all our fake Christianity, our sin was gathered and judged fully and finally on the cross. And it was at the cross where all of Jesus' life of perfectly good works were gathered and given to you and to me, presented to the Father as our final verdict of justification. You know, forgive this crude drawing. I find it helpful, kids. And so we're going to enter back into elementary school for a bit. It's a timeline. It's the world's timeline. It's your and my timeline. According to Paul, the cross happened here in the past. And you and I are here in the present. And our judgment awaits us in the future. And then God does this. He puts them together in one moment. This is what happens with the past and the present and the future. One past, one present, one future become an ever-present moment for us right now. And so, to put it this way, to offer you a confusing but entirely biblical sentence using all three tenses, right now, your future judgment already happened. Before your very eyes, God is saying to you, I have delivered my verdict of future judgment on you, not guilty. 
And not only that, I offer to you the very words I offered to my own son on the day of his baptism. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You are my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. Therefore, I say with Paul, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? For it is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. This means that I don't care who you are or what you've done. Satan can't bring any charge against you that would be so damning as to jeopardize your final judgment. Because your final judgment already happens at the cross. This world can't bring any charge against you that would be so condemning as to jeopardize your final judgment. Because your final judgment already happened at the cross. No, not even you and all your secrets can bring a charge against yourself that would be so unpardonable as to jeopardize your final judgment because your final judgment has already happened at the cross. And so, if we must imagine a day when we stand before God mano a mano, Paul urges us to imagine it going like this. God will ask you to give an account. And then and there, we will have an opportunity, as odd as it sounds, to preach back to God the very message that he's been preaching to us from eternity past. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There, Christian, there is your account. There are your works. There is your righteousness. There on the cross. There is your final judgment. Believe upon Jesus as he proclaims from his cross. It is finished. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we strain to believe. Help our unbelief. Help us to see all that you have provided in your Son. Help us in this Lenten season as we look at all the works Jesus amassed for us. A big pile of righteousness that is given to us freely in your grace. That helps us to see free of charge who we are before you. And help us to remember that final judgment has been meted out and executed at the cross for us and our salvation. And help us to walk forever in the light of that news this day and every day. Amen.